Ladies and gentlemen, bookworms and defenders of intellectual freedom, welcome back to another episode of Unbanned Coolies. Today, we have an extraordinary guest who stands at the forefront of the battle for diverse and inclusive literature. Joining us is a true trailblazer, an advocate for unrestricted access to knowledge, and a staunch champion of the right to read. She is working to ensure that diverse voices and narratives find their rightful place on library shelves. With her wealth of expertise, she guides librarians, educators, and readers across the nation through a labyrinth of banned books, censorship, challenges, and a kaleidoscope of intellectual freedom issues. As a force to be reckoned with, our guest has been instrumental in the American Library Association unwavering commitment to defending the rights of authors, readers, and everyone in between. She is the protector of imagination, the defender of thought, and the advocate for the old who stories have faced unwarranted balancing. She is the director of the Office for Intellectual Freedom at the ALA. She also serves as the executive director for the Freedom to Read Foundation. Let's give a roaring virtual applause and a warm welcome to the one and only Deborah Caldwell Stone. Thank you, Christopher. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Thank you. Let's dive right into the questions. Can you provide a brief overview of the American Libraries Association stance on banned and challenged books? Absolutely. You know, it's long been um, the core value of the profession to defend each person's freedom to read and to make widely available all sorts of ideas, no matter how controversial, uh, how, no matter that some might object to them. It should be up to each reader to make their own choices about what they read. And, you know, really we are very dedicated to defending that fundamental freedom of choice about what one reads. It's founded on the First Amendment, of course, which includes a right to access information. And librarians are fiercely devoted to upholding that First Amendment right to read, as well as the ability to be able to provide a community uh, and readers all the books that they would like to read. I just finished reading The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is a coming-of-age novel written by Steven Kabowski. I saw myself in the main character of Charlie, an introverted teenager who is navigating high school life, Unfortunately, the book is challenged for explicit content and discussions of mental health. Is there a challenge or banned book that you enjoyed? I have to tell you that one of my most favorite banned books is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi. Um, it was, at the time I read it, a revelation to me. I had visited uh, that part of the country where uh, Mr. Lexi had grown up on the res, and I had no idea about the life lived by uh, indigenous persons uh, confined to reservation and the lack of opportunity for education and his fight to get, or his protagonist's fight to get that education and the life he led. Um, I can't say enough about the book. I think it richly deserved its American, uh, its National Book Award for Youth Literature. Um, and I recommend it to anyone who really wants to understand uh, how uh, other people live, the challenges they face. Banned books often generate controversy due to the differing opinions on content. That both principles guide the 
ALA's defense of intellectual freedom in these cases? Well, our defense of intellectual freedom relies heavily on the idea that each person is able to make their own choices about what they read, that you know, the freedom of thought includes exploring controversy uh, and understanding controversy. For example, you'll find Mein Kampf, the book by Adolf Hitler that led to uh, his despotic regime, the extermination of six million lives of Jews uh, on the shelf of every library because we need to understand those ideas, those arguments in order to effectively counter them and to build a better world. And so we defend the right to access controversial ideas because it's up to the reader to be able to find out those ideas, um, to be able to decide for themselves uh, about those ideas and to be able to equip themselves to fight bad ideas. We can't fight bad ideas if we don't know what they are. Um, but fundamentally, no government should be involved in the decision about what's appropriate to read, certainly not on the basis of controversy. And so for those many reasons, librarians defend the right to have controversial ideas in the library's collection um, and the ability of each reader to make their own choices about reading them and to make sure that that access to information isn't limited unfairly by advocacy groups or elected officials who are partisan or practicing censorship to advance a particular viewpoint. How does ALA support libraries, librarians, and educators in handling challenges to books within their collections? ALA provides a wealth of resources for, to libraries and librarians fighting censorship. Um, first and foremost, we provide uh, a set of best practices and policies for libraries to consider and adopt into their local policies in defense of intellectual freedom. This includes collection development policies, reconsideration policies that address how books are added to the collection and provide a means for individuals to raise a concern about a book and have that concern addressed fairly in light of the collection development policy. In addition to these best practices and policies that are put together by library professionals over decades of experience, uh, we provide professional development education, and we also provide individual support to librarians and educators who are dealing with censorship in their institutions, whether it's a public library or a public school or a school library. Um, this can include helping them with their policies, uh, counseling them on the law that applies to book challenges in schools and libraries, particularly publicly funded schools and libraries, um, as well as working uh, on strategies to promote intellectual freedom for the community as a whole and making sure that those uh, values are articulated and applied in the situation. How does the ALA address concerns about age-appropriate content in libraries while still upholding the principles of intellectual freedom? Well, we have to unpack that a bit because the phrase age-appropriate is often used as a means to censor materials that are absolutely appropriate for an age group to read but address a controversial topic. Uh, just because a group of persons, an advocacy group, an individual believes a particular topic is not appropriate 
for the children in their lives does not make it inappropriate for other families, for other young people to read. And that's what we're facing today. Often that label age and inappropriate is applied to books dealing with gender identity, sexual orientation, uh, and race and race relations um, that are written for young people, that are written at a level for a five-year-old to understand, board books, for example, or books written for middle schoolers or high schoolers, but and they are developmentally relevant. They're written at that reading at the reading level intended for the uh, young people that the uh, author who created the book for. Um, they address the topic in a way that is understandable and appropriate in that sense, um, but they simply are controversial. And we fight fiercely against the idea that um, any one topic should be off the table for any reader of any age that it is possible for an author and a publisher to treat a topic sensitively and appropriately for an age group, even if some might find it controversial. That said, you know, we certainly believe that um, libraries are about making sure books are appropriate for the reader and that the reader is well matched to the book. And librarians are professionals who spend time in graduate school making that match. You know, and so that the books that are given to a reader, that a, a reader is recommended, that do match their age, their reading uh, uh, ability, their educational development. They often find that books intended for younger readers, uh, for middle school and high school, often are a great match for adults who are just becoming literate. And there are adults who don't possess basic literacy skills or just learning to read. And so we have to be very thoughtful and unpack that phrase, age appropriate. You know, and certainly we don't want illegal materials in libraries, and libraries don't collect materials that are illegal. But that said, we don't want to artificially limit access to materials because a group disapproves of a topic or an idea. Then Book Speak is a significant event in the literary community. Could you talk about its purpose and how the ALA and libraries across the nation participate in this event? Then Books Week uh, came into being around 1982. It was a time when we saw a rising effort to censor books, particularly in school libraries. Um, and in fact, a court case was making its way through the Supreme Court at the time. You may be familiar with it, Board of Education v. PICO. Um, and ultimately, the Supreme Court held that school boards could not remove books simply because they didn't like the ideas in the book. But that said, we noted that across the country uh, that there are many instances where school boards and library boards were censoring books. And we wanted to raise awareness about this. And when I talk about we, I'm talking about librarians, publishers, authors. Uh, booksellers. We were all deeply concerned, all of us who participate in what we call uh, uh, the book ecosystem, uh, about this effort to suppress ideas. And so BAM Books Week came into being to highlight democracy that celebrates and elevates human freedoms, particularly the freedom to read, the First Amendment, the freedom of expression, that censorship was still taking place, official censorship conducted by government bodies that were forbidden from engaging in that kind of censorship by the First Amendment. And so over the years, we've used it to raise awareness about that kind of censorship, to promote the freedom to read, to promote First Amendment freedoms, and it continues today. 
Um, there are 11 uh, official members of the Van Books Week Coalition. That includes libraries, booksellers, publishers, authors, uh, civil liberties organizations, uh, groups that promote and protect the welfare of marginalized communities like PFLAG and uh, Lambda, Legal Defense Fund. There are many, many organizations that uh, participate and support in Van Books Week in celebration of our freedom to read and to raise that awareness that censorship is not a tool for education, it's not a tool for democracy, but a tool for despots, and that we need to fight against it to protect both our democracy and our individual liberty. What advice would you give to authors, librarians, and educators, and readers who want to get involved in promoting intellectual freedom and combating book censorship? Well, first, to be aware of what's going on in your community. School politics and library politics are all local. You know, we have local school boards, local library boards that manage them and are responsible for the libraries that they uh, operate. And so attending school board meetings, attending library board meetings is absolutely important and being aware of what's going on there but also making connections with individuals who believe in the freedom to read at the local level and at the national level. Join groups like United Against Book Bans, uh, the National Coalition Against Censorship, which, by the way, has a great uh, student's right to read program uh, as part of it. Pen America, many organizations. Join the national organizations and then form local chapters. You can form local chapters of United Against Book Bans, ACLU, uh, to fight book banning, to be able to speak out and advocate at a moment's notice when individuals or groups crop up in your community who want to remove books from the library. But I think most importantly is to be prepared and not even prepared, but always support your local library. If there's a friends group, if there's a teen advocacy team for your local library, join it, participate in it. Let your librarians know how much you appreciate what you get from the library, whether it's books, internet access, uh, video games, uh, movies, uh, streaming services, access to periodicals and newspapers. Just remember to thank your librarian for making that all possible and being prepared to support them when attacks come. And they are coming and are still ongoing. Um, and, you know, um, just uh, being aware and prepared to act is so important. With the rise of digital media and online content, have the challenges and strategies related to evolve? How is the ALA adapting to these changes? Well, like so many other associations and organizations, we found a presence on social media. We try to make as much available through digital media uh, in the way of our educational programs, our policies, our documents. Um, but I think what we all have to be um, newly aware of is the speed of communication these days. We have very little time for reflection and thought, and we respond instantly. And I think that's what all organizations are grappling with, is they need to respond quickly and thoughtfully to situations that crop up. With regard to books, you know, we've had to adjust to the fact that books are digital as well as in print um, and uh, adjust our practices. 
accordingly. And so libraries are adopting platforms for distributing ebooks in accordance with the law in respect for the rights of the authors and the publishers, but also protecting the rights of the readers to access those books on, uh, as they do with physical books as well. Um, you know, it's you know, you've asked a question that is very um, it's both interesting, broad and deep and can be answered in so many ways. Um, but uh, I think that libraries have made a real push to adjust to the new environment. One of the things that ALA does, for example, is we promote broadband access, particularly for rural communities uh, that are not well reached by internet access, um, and supporting government initiatives that make sure that each community is connected to the internet or has more than adequate access to the internet. And with that comes access to news, uh, websites, ebooks, and enables the local library to provide those uh, provide that access to members of the community that may not own their own computers or even have smartphones. There is so much there to talk about when you talk about the move to digital and how libraries are coping. Our members in ALA, the professional members of ALA, are devoted to exploring all the ways of making sure uh, that digital resources are available to their community and making the best use of them and so that everyone has equal access to digital resources and digital information um, in this very, uh, sorry to repeat it, digital age. <laughs> so thank you. How can individuals or communities report instances of book challenges or censorship to the ALA's Office for Intellectual Freedom? And what kind of support can they expect to receive? Well, I have a staff in my office that is dedicated to receiving and responding to reports of censorship. And it's easy to report censorship. All you need to do is to go to ala.org forward slash fight censorship, and you'll find all kinds of resources, not only the link to the reporting form for censorship, but resources on defending the freedom to read in your library and community. Um, if you file a report of censorship, a response will come, and a member of the ALA staff will uh, address your questions and concerns about what's going on in your community, suggest resources, uh, point you to online resources in particular that may be helpful, provide book reviews that support the inclusion of the book in a community's library. Um, and that's actually as simple as can be. Just go to ALA.org fight censorship, all one word, and you'll find the resources to report censorship. But I'd also recommend visiting the website uniteagainstbookbans.org. That's the initiative that's intended for the public to use to fight censorship in their communities. You'll find toolkits, white papers, talking points, questions to ask your elected officials and candidates for office. Now, we can't take a position on elections because ALA is a 501c3 nonprofit. We're an association dedicated to improving library services, and we're nonpartisan. Uh, but we can show what is important about library services and provide questionnaires for elected officials to answer about how they support libraries and how they support the freedom to read so that you can make up your own mind about your elected officials and those running for office. And so those are the two resources I would recommend, unitedagainstbookfans.org and ala.org forward slash censorship.
Can you share some success stories where the ALA's efforts and the efforts of local librarians have made a positive impact in preserving access to challenge or banned books? Well, I would say that ALA supports librarians fighting for the freedom to read. And so really, the story, success stories are success stories of individual library professionals, school librarians, public librarians, fighting the good fight and making sure that the readers in their community have access to the books they want and need. I think of Martha Hickson, the school librarian in North Hunterton, New Jersey, who fought an 18-month battle to keep a whole range of banned books in her school library, um, despite tremendous odds. And books like The Perks of Being a Wallflower, uh, The Absolutely True Die of the Part-Time Indian, with the support of students in the high school and some of the parents in the community, they were successful in preserving the freedom to read in that community. Um, other brave librarians in Texas, South Carolina, um, too, too numerous to mention, have done the same thing. They've stood up, they've fought for the freedom to read in their communities and made sure that books stayed on the shelf. Um, I can point to some successes in St. Tammany Parish, Louisiana, for example, where despite the efforts of an advocacy group that even had the support of the state attorney general, um, local citizens supported the library board in voting to retain books on the shelf uh, through a local group called Louisiana Citizens Against Censorship that was supported by United Against Book Bans and uh, individual librarians in the community. And I would look also to library advocates like Becky Calzada and the Freedom Project in Texas, who despite now many challenges and even threats to their employment, they still speak out in defense of the freedom to read, despite uh, really tough climate that supports censorship in their communities. What do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities in the field of intellectual freedom and combating book censorship in the coming years? I think the biggest challenge we're facing right now is an effort by a number of advocacy groups to claim that books that address controversial topics for them, books dealing with race and racism, uh, the experience of marginalized groups that reflect the lives and experiences of LGBTQ persons are somehow inappropriate for anyone to read. Um, and fighting against this framing to promote the idea that everyone's stories should be able to be read and found in libraries, uh, in bookstores, um, on the internet, um, and to reject that and to support the ability of everyone to find their voice and to express their lives, experiences, ideas, in whatever medium and to be accessible through all channels, including the library. The other challenge we're facing is the fact that we see elected officials sworn to uphold the Constitution and the Bill of Rights supporting this idea that there should be legal restrictions on access to information, whether it's books intended for young people, reproductive health information, information about our history with uh, race and racism in the United States, trying to hide some of the more unsavory aspects of our history. Um, and I think that that's going to be a long fight. I think politicians see it as a wedge issue to use during elections. 
And as a result, we must be constantly vigilant and prepared to respond to that in effective ways through the ballot box, through our advocacy, through supporting our local institutions, our school boards, our library boards, who are defending the freedom to read, and the educators and librarians who are fighting for that as well. Are there any current projects, initiatives, or campaigns related to banned books that the ALA is working on? or that you're particularly excited about? Well, we're always excited about United Against Book Bans because it's an initiative that we created for individuals in the public to use, um, for students to use, for adults to use, to defend the freedom to read. You know, we are a professional membership organization, ALA. We, our members are primarily librarians. Um, and much of the work we've done in the past has focused on uh, providing librarians with the tools they need to defend intellectual freedom. And now we finally have an initiative to help members of the public defend intellectual freedom and the freedom to read in their communities. But I'd also point to the Freedom to Read Foundation, which has a very special purpose. Uh, it is created to litigate and defend First Amendment freedoms in the courts so that they're preserved for the future. And we're deeply engaged in that work right now. Uh, I wear that second hat as Executive Director of the Freedom to Read Foundation. And right now we're supporting litigation to defend the Freedom to Read in Llano County, Texas, in the state of Arkansas as well, in Missouri, for example making sure that um, it's clear to everyone that under the rule of law, the freedom to read is protected by our First Amendment rights and our Constitution. It's not the role of the government to tell us what to read, but instead to defend our freedom to read. Before we end this interview, I'd like to applaud you for your tireless efforts in championing the essence of storytelling, the pulse of free expression, and the vital importance of diverse voices. Your insights are destined to ignite the fires of curiosity, and it definitely ignited the flames of advocacy within me. So thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Christopher, and thank you for inviting me to spend time with you today. It, it's been a privilege, and you know, um, I, I'm so proud to have you joining us in this fight, and, and uh, I can only encourage you to keep on keeping on and invite others to join you. Thank you. I appreciate your thoughtful sentiment. Thank you. See you. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye, Chris.